Welcome everyone. This is uh, Project Bridge episode two. My name is Ron Del Cid, the lead outreach worker for Project Bridge. Um, here, I'm going to introduce you guys today with our guest um, and the rest of our team. Uh, real quick, just want to give a shout out to Chris Bishop. That was uh, his song um, that he let us uh, borrow and use for our intro. So, uh, guys, I want to introduce Project Bridge again. Uh, we have Mr. Melvin. Hey there, how you doing? Uh, Bricelli. What's up, guys? And Ms. Crystal. Hey. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, hand over the, the mic to Bricelli so she can uh, move us along. All right, what's up, everyone? Um, today's episode two for Project Bridge, um, where the topic is called Coming Together as a Community During COVID-19. Um, we do have a special guest today um, who is a community organizer in LA um, who works with youth to support their leadership in both statewide and local campaigns. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and um, pass the mic to him, let him introduce himself. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, my name is, or thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Anthony Robles. I'm a youth organizer with the Youth Justice Coalition in LA. Um, yeah, we have a space called Chuco Justice Center in South Central, off 76th and Central. Um, we have a, a high school there called Free LA, which stands for Fighting for the Revolution to Educate and Empower Los Angeles. Um, about 20 other organizations use our space for meetings or for offices and to do their, their, their organizing work. Um, we have an arts collective there called IPR Arts. Um, we have a, they built a garden, an urban garden in our, in our lot. Um, so that, that's been growing. It's been up since October. We've been, har been harvesting food already with it. So there's a lot of stuff going on in their space. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. We work on local and, and, and state policy. Um, so we, you know, we use direct action um, to drive home campaigns to make sure that we bring people out of um, detention, jails, prisons, juvenile halls, camps, and um, stopping police violence and deportation and disrupting the school to jail track and making sure that, you know, we're creating pipelines to college instead of um, uh, jails and prisons, which is what our school is focused on. So it's nice to have our own school and kind of put into practice what um, we fight for. Cool. Thank you so much, Anthony. Um, yeah, so one of the main reasons why I invited Anthony to come on here, because even though he is based in Los Angeles, um, and this podcast is geared toward our Riverside community, um, it's kind of breaking those, um, those borders that we create and just talking about community in general, just like, regardless of what city um, someone might be in. Um, so before we get into the questions that we wanted to ask Anthony, um, I just want to go ahead and take a moment for everybody to um, acknowledge the essential workers that are still out there in the community um, working and making sure that um, everybody is receiving the support and resources that they need. Um, so I know number one probably be, would be our medical practitioners, um, our doctors, our nurses who are on the front line um, during this pandemic, um, but also the people who may not be necessarily seen as at the forefront, but who are just as important and doing, uh, providing food and resources, right? So 
um, specifically farm workers, uh, fast food and restaurant workers, grocery store clerks, um, truck drivers who are transporting all the goods, warehouse um, workers, janit janitors and sanitation workers. Um, so to say the least, um, there's a lot more um, that we could think of, right? Um, but basically people um, who are out there on the front line, um, basically risking their lives, right, for us to be able to have what we need. Um, and because this episode is based on um, community and coming together, I just wanted to take a moment to do that. Um, but now moving on to the questions, um, I came across a quote from Jade Begay, um, who works here with the Inland Empire community, um, and it really stood out to me, so I wanted to start this for the first question. Uh, so Anthony, um, with the quote, um, now more than ever, it is imperative for us to decolonize from individualism and reconnect with ways of community care. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding what it looks like to come together as a community during COVID-19? Uh, so kind of answering that question, but also maybe like what the quote uh, means to you and how, um, and how it looks like for community to come together. Um, yeah, so like looking at that quote, um, talking about like decolonizing from individualism and reconnecting with ways of community care. I think community, that means much larger than just um, our surrounding communities of other humans or just even our global community of, of, of other humans. But community also means everything that we should have a relationship with, which are the animals, which are living and non-living things, the earth itself, the, the, the universe, the cosmos, whatever, God, whatever, whatever it looks like to you. Um, I think community is much beyond than our, our, just our circle of people or just people in general. And the reason why we're in this predicament right now is because the way people have exploited animals, um, this disease came from an animal and came to humans. So it's kind of, and it's not kind of, it is karma. Um, what we do to the earth, what we do to other living things and non-living things is going to come back to us, whether immediately or, or in a slow process, but what we put out is going to come back. And so I think this is just us as a um as a species just dealing with what we put out into the world which is a lot of destruction and negativity i mean we also put out beautiful things but i think we put out we've been putting out a lot of a lot of negative things and destructive things to to just our our home and and other in the in the inhabitants we share with and so i think coming together as a community is like taking the, that kind of a perspective that you know we need to look out for each other, not just in this crisis, but beyond this crisis, and look out for not just humans, but look out for animals, look out for for plants, look out for for everything—the rocks, the mountains, and all that stuff—because um, this is what sustains us. This is what keeps us alive, and when this is what we're connected to, everything's connected. And this crisis is showing us that we're all connected. Um, because, like, you know, some people might think, or you might think, like, oh, if I catch this virus, like for me, example. I'm young and I'm healthy. If I catch this virus, I'll be all right. So ain't nothing to worry about. I'm going to keep going to the store. I don't need to wear a mask or gloves to try to help prevent this or whatever. If I catch it, I catch it. But I can spread it to vulnerable people and I can spread it to elders. I have, I, my uncle just got out of prison on Friday. He's 70 years old. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't understand the severity of this situation. Um, but if I go over there, I couldn't even welcome him home because I didn't want to go over there and put him at any risk in case I had the virus because I could be asymptomatic. You could be showing no symptoms and give it to somebody who could die from it. So 
um, even that kind of sucks, but it just, it's showing that how we're all connected and it sucks that, um, usually the times we feel connected are through tragedies or disasters, but, you know, I guess cause we're just so busy during our daily lives to actually intentionally think about how we're connected or to nurture those connections. But, um, I, another thing I'd want to say is like, people think like during disasters or people when they prep for disasters, you know, prep for the worst, which you should, you should always prep for the worst. But I think a lot of people have an expectation of the worst too, that we're going to be at each other's throats and robbing and looting and killing each other and whatever, because we're so desperate. But in times of disaster, more often than not, um, humans come together to support each other and provide for one another. So that's why you're seeing all these mutual aid, um, uh, mutual aid kind of, um, groups popping up and uh, resources coming out to the community. Um, so, you know, volunteerism, volunteerism's increasing. So I think that's our natural tendency is to, to recognize these connections and understand that we are connected and support each other because we have to keep all everybody afloat. We have to all survive through this. So um, I think we understand that connection through, through disaster. And unfortunately, it seems like only time is through disaster. Yeah, Anthony, so I wanted to just um, thank you for that answer. Um, I completely agree. And I think one of the main things that you highlighted was that connection, right, that we're all connected. Um, and that kind of gives us the responsibility to look out for others and like um, think about each other, right, beyond ourselves um, because we're so connected. And um, I just want to like reiterate the, the you know, doing what you can to help vulnerable populations um, and help elders, right? So um, elders is something that we should cherish because they hold so much wisdom and knowledge and, um, you know, their age doesn't mean that they are less or more, right? So just kind of wanted to reiterate that um, from your response. I appreciate that. Yes, um, so we have another question um, for Anthony. Uh, which is connected to the work that you do with YJC around transformative justice. Can you share with us, one, what transformative justice means to you, and two, what transformative justice goes hand in hand with the community? Yeah, so transformative justice is something that we use um, in our organization and at our space at Chuko Justice Center um, to provide an alternative. I wouldn't even say it's an alternative to um, a process of accountability because I don't think we have in our society at least through the legal means like a, a actual accountability process so it's not even an alternative it's it's one of the only um, accountability processes there is that goes back to um, ancient ways so our ancestors and and how they dealt with issues and and regard and that was society and that with things that came up which was um, usually in circles with the larger community where everyone has a voice. Um, and so transformative justice is something that we use at our space to create accountability and also healing. Um, because you can find healing through accountability. And um, it's, it's a non-punitive, it's a non-punitive process that, that actually creates accountability and healing. What we have now in our current injustice system through the courts and the jails and the prisons and the police is a punishment system. It doesn't create any accountability. It doesn't foster any healing for people. Um, if somebody is harmed, um, the person who harmed them is apprehended and then brought to uh, taken to jail. 
And even if the person that was harmed doesn't want to press charges, it's really up to the prosecutor, the DA's um, discretion if to press charges. That's their job. They're, be, they're acting on the behalf of the people of whatever county and whatever state they're in. So, you know, acting on behalf of LA County and state of California, and they bring charges to those people. And so, you know, the person that's harmed, you know, maybe they don't even want that person to be punished. They could write a letter, but it's really out of their hands. And the person that did the harm never, there's never an opportunity for them to confront or, you know, to talk with the person that they harmed or anything like that um, to maybe try to amend what happened. And so basically you're just thrown into this court process and incarcerated, thrown into a cell where, in a, thrown into a prison where the conditions breed violence, breed um, physical and mental and emotional deterioration. So it's not nothing rehabilitative at all. And most people that go to jail or prison come out eventually. And so we're sending people into a system that really just is just um, animalistic, you know, and people come out uh, more traumatized and more, more, more pain than they were when they, when they, before they went in. And, and these are our family members that are coming back to our communities. Um, so now, now we're adding extra stress on the families and the communities to deal, to deal with people coming out of jail and prisons who've gone through things um, that the system just like chewed up and spit out. And so transformative justice is a way to like subvert all that. And so when there are harms that, that happen, um, there's a process that brings people in and brings the, the, those involved in and, and, and even consults with the community on how we move forward as a community because one harm affects all the community, but it's also not to criminalize or alienate the person who did the harm. If the person that did the harm um, does the transformative justice circle in the process, you know, tries to find accountability, there, there will, there, you know, there could be, there could be healing. Um, and it's about how do we transform the conditions around us that that produce this situation in the first place. So say I rob somebody because um, I'm on my, you know, I'm broke and I rob somebody because I need to make rent or whatever. Trans uh, typical system would throw me in jail and give me some years in prison for that. And then I'd come out, you know, having done prison time and, and what comes with all that. But if I, if it was a TJ process, I would, I would talk to the person in the circle to, that I harm and we would try to find some common understanding. And the ideally the end result would be I, the, whatever the, the person that harmed wants um, as agreements, that's what I'll sign to. Like if they want me to, you know, do their yard for a year or whatever. But if, more than that, it's also the person that did the harm. How do we get them out of the situation that caused them to, to, to rob in the first place? So how do we get them a job? How do we, how do we create a campaign that, that demands that our city or our county or our state creates jobs for our people. So this doesn't keep happening. So it's almost, it's very, it's, well, it's like a very politically driven um, process as well. It's about looking at the bigger structure when we're, when we're looking at the micro kind of issues and the micro harms, we're also looking at the macro kind of violence that goes on that produces these situations and try to address that too. That's a huge challenge. And there's no right way. Well, I guess there could be, there is some wrong ways to do TJ, but um, it's all a learning process. And so I think the more and more you do it, the more and more you learn and you figure things out, every situation is different. I think that's the, the beauty of, of this process as well, is that every situation is treated as, a, as its own individual situation with its own circumstances, as opposed to like 
the court process, which kind of is just like an assembly line and you just thrown into this mess. And if you don't have a good lawyer, if you don't got money to pay for a good lawyer or you don't have a good public defender, then you're just going to get whatever they get thrown at you. So um, that's the good things about it. And like the way it goes hand in hand with the community is that the transformative justice is not just about like create uh, repairing harms, but it's also all the stuff before that. So it's like, how do we build community? How do we build community with our neighbors? How do we build trust with our neighbors, build trust with our the people around us? So that when, when people trust each other and are, are in union with each other, you know, they're less likely to harm each other. So it's even like a prevention process as well, where we, we, um, we instill these kind of actions and values before any harms are ever taking place. So it's like, kind of, I see it as like three kind of things like, the before, like building community, and then when there is the harm, um, how do you confront the the per the pe- person or people, and and then the and then the circle process, which is like the the agreements and um, holding people accountable and trying to start to build some healing, and then after that is like, all right, you after you've done the circle, how do we stay in contact and how do we make sure we're moving forward and both healing together and, and still holding ourselves accountable. So that was kind of like a lot, but um, that's just kind of like a kind of a quick rundown about TJ. We do um, transformative justice um, trainings uh, that we offer um, to schools, to other organizations. So we're if anybody ever needs any of that, if y'all ever need that, we can come by and, and do that. We're supposed to do one with um, a student organization at um, called Revolutionary Scholars at uh, CSUN at Northridge, Cal State Northridge. We were supposed to do it like a week or two ago, but this whole um, coronavirus thing kind of canceled that. So we're postponing it for later. Yeah, and I think that it's good that you're kind of mentioning how you guys offer that, right, for the community, because maybe a lot of people in our community don't know what transformative justice is, um, but kind of want to, you know, dive into that and kind of learn about it and all of that stuff. So just knowing that there is people who are already doing that and, you know, they don't have to, um, you know, they can, they can learn about things, right. And start implementing things. Um, and that kind of leads to like the last question. Can I say one more thing about that too? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. We also, we, we, we do it throughout our whole organization and throughout our whole space. So we have community agreements, um, to use a space. So one of them is about, you know, using transformative justice. So, not just the students at the high school use it among themselves, but everybody uses it, the adults too. Um, because like LAUSD, for example, has implemented restorative justice in their schools, but it's only for the students and the teachers and the staff and the administration don't, don't use restorative justice among themselves when problems arise, you know? So how, like, how are students supposed to buy into a process that not even the adults and the people running the schools are, are using themselves? So over at Chuko's, we all use it, and we use it for school, like fights. There's, all, there's a lot of fights at school, so we use it for fights whenever other kind of issues come up. Um, and even the, the teachers are held accountable. Um, a student could call a circle with a teacher if they feel like they've been harmed by a teacher. Um, and, and then we also use it for all kinds of situations. So it could be used in schools. It could also be used in real-world situations. We use it for, you know, sexual harassment allegations, for all kinds of things. Um, it could be applied to to any kind of harm um, if the if the people are willing to to come together. So um, 
And it's also, we use it as a substitute to school push-outs. So instead of just suspending or expelling students if they fight or whatever, um, or they miss a couple, they miss a few days of school or whatever, instead of expelling them, we just have a circle and call them the family. We just have a transformative justice circle and try to get to the root of what, what's, what's the root of the behavior and then try to like, you know, try to provide resources for the, for the young people at the school to succeed and to keep coming to school and, you know. Yeah. I think something that I like that that you're talking about here that I, I kind of that I think of is I think within our own families we kind of will work like this sometimes right where we try not to not to get police involved you know and we kind of work within our own families to try to deal with issues sometimes right and I think that this kind of reminds me of that sense but understanding that we're applying it to a community and treating each other as family I think that's what that's what that's what really sticks out to me about this kind of uh, program that I think would be really beneficial to continue to grow. And I think it's a great, you know, an alternative and not just an alternative, but a better fix to the issues, right? Because I, I totally agree with you that I feel like people go in to the system and they come out, but nothing's really fixed, right? Like, yeah, they do some time, but what is it really fixing? Is it really fixing that trauma that person dealt with prior to this? Is it really dealing with that trauma that that person endured as a victim? You know, it doesn't, it just, it just continues that, the system. Yeah, and I think you kind of touched on the last question a little bit about like, what piece of advice would you give to youth or people and organizations who work with youth, right? Um, about like, maybe, you know, implementing transformative justice um, to come together as a community. And I know you kind of mentioned with the LAUSD district, right? And how, how are you supposed to uh, mirror something if they, you know, the, the staff and the, the administrator, the adults um, in the room are not necessarily um, practicing that, right? So I think um, that's really important. Um, I think that if everybody plays part in it um, and that we teach our youth and everybody in our community, then um, it's much stronger, right? Um, so I kind of just wanted to, um, kind of further, if you could further, like, I don't know if there's any last, last piece of advice or last, anything that you would want to say um, specifically about what we've been talking about in community uh, for our youth. Um, yeah, we have a, we have two monthly things that go on on the first and third Wednesdays. On the first Wednesdays of the month at our space, well, before the, the COVID thing at our space, we'd meet and we'd have um, transformative justice practitioner circles. So you could come, be part of a circle, see how it works. Um, it also operates like as a healing space. It's kind of become like a de facto kind of like healing circle. It was supposed, is meant to like teach people how to do transformative justice um, by doing like workshops and actually like doing the circles. But um, a lot of times they become like more like healing kind of circles because a lot of people have so much just going on that you know, they use that space to kind of just bond and connect and talk to each other. Um, that's every first Wednesday at 7 p.m. They're moved to online for right now, so you can join them virtually. And then there's, um, we have the community alternatives to 911 workshops that we do every third Wednesday of the month. We're trying to, we're trying to facilitate and build up hubs throughout LA County um, of people who are equipped with the skills and knowledge to respond to any kind of crisis, whether it's medical or disaster related, like earthquakes, fires, or um, police accountability, um, and stuff like that. All right. Thank you so much, um, Anthony, for sharing um, and for really um, 
kind of introducing what transformative justice is to us um, and to um, our listeners, um, I think that we gained a lot of valuable information um, and really got to the point of how we can come together as a community. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to share an announcement from Anthony's behalf um, on behalf of Youth Justice Coalition, uh, which is the organization that Anthony um, works for. Uh, they are actually having a um, car rally tomorrow um, at noon at noon in Los Angeles. Um, it's at Temple and Hill, which is 210 West Temple um, in the downtown LA criminal court and uh, district attorney's office. Uh, so because of the whole coronavirus, um, part of the work that Anthony does is helping advocate um, for those who are currently incarcerated. Um, and during this coronavirus time, um, they're trying to go out there um, and rally for support uh, from the community. And of course, it would be from the safety of everybody's car um, and just kind of showing support for those who are currently incarcerated and um, trying to get demands to make sure that those who are inside um, jails, prisons, um, basically in custody who don't have the ability to, you know, do all of these preventative measures, making sure that um, people are providing preventative measures inside um, because at the end of the day, they are also um, family members, loved ones, and part of our community. Uh, so just if anybody is in the LA area, uh, definitely go to that. Um, it's a really important cause. And then lastly, uh, we'll just transfer it over to uh, Ron, but I just want to say again, uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on here um, into our podcast. All right, everybody. I just want to say thank you for, for joining us today um, with the Project Bridge podcast episode two um next week we'll be having our third episode which is um top what the topic is how are you keeping yourself busy during quarantine so uh please feel free um every tuesday at noon we're going to be um uploading our podcast weekly and you can find the link at uh riv parks on instagram or on facebook as well so uh, thank you guys for listening and thank you all project Bridge, for being here TV out.